I had a gift card and I was actually in a store trying to buy another self-help book with this gift card and I was just like Ugh, I don't I don't know I don't want any more of these diet books and I don't want any more self-help books I I thought the answer was just finding someone I really looked up to and admired and thought was beautiful and thought was smart and liked their life and I was like I'll just eat what they eat and I'll believe what they believe and I'll do their practices and I'll be like them and I'll be happy but that wasn't working. And so I stumbled upon the fact that maybe the answer was just inside myself and I needed to connect to who I am. This interview with Katie is a powerful one. We're talking wellness, recovery, and journaling. Stay tuned to see how those things go together. I really appreciated Katie's openness and honesty in this podcast. We're talking about stuff that I haven't heard many people talk about really honestly. She is the woman behind the big podcast called Let It Out with Katie Dalbout. Totally worth a listen. She has some epic conversations over there. She also started her journey out as the wellness wonderland. And we're talking about how she moved from the wellness wonderland to more of a holistic view of what well-being meant. We're also talking about the nice and not so nice side effects of wellness, how she uses mental gymnastics to this day to challenge some of her immediate thoughts, the power of getting real with yourself and how you can do that, and how you can make your life your masterpiece, not your body. Stay tuned for this beautifully wise and feeling interview with Katie Dalbout. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Katie, thank you for joining us on Here to Thrive today. I'm really excited to talk more about your journey and journaling specifically. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I really would love to know your story from your own point of view because you started out in this journey as the wellness wonderland, right? I did, yes. Can you talk to me about personal growth and how your journey in this space of personal development really transpired? Yeah, of course. So I started a blog, like you said, called The Wellness Wonderland when I was in college a bunch of years ago. And at the time, wellness was, you know, kind of coming up, but it wasn't at all what it is now where it's really exploded in places that aren't, you know, LA or New York. It's kind of exploded everywhere. And at the time, it was still rather niche. And I mainly got into wellness and holistic living and green juice and superfoods and all of it 
I thought from a really loving, wonderful perspective because I thought it was interesting and it was such a departure from how I grew up eating and living, you know, in a very typical Midwestern upbringing. But when I really get honest about it, I think the majority of its appeal was a way to manipulate the size and shape of my body. You know, a lot of people talk about wellness and being into wellness as, oh, you know, it's just to get healthier and it's just to feel my best and it's just to whatever, whatever. And maybe that's part of it. And, you know, and this might not be the case for everyone, but I'll speak for myself. For me, I was kind of using that as a cover for, you know, the, the, well, let me finish that thought. The thought is I'll use wellness as a way to heal myself and feel clearer and be more creative. And it's just a great way of life and blah, blah, blah. And the nice side effect is that I'll, you know, be skinnier or I'll, you know, lose a bit of weight or, you know, my face will look less puffy or whatever. It's these like aesthetic things that come with it. And for me, and I think I'm not alone in this. I think for a lot of women, this is the case. For me, even though I would never, I was too embarrassed and I was too trying to be a cool girl, you know, who's like, oh, I can eat a burger. I can do whatever. Like I can, but I just, I, I weigh this much and this is just how I am. Like I so wanted to be that person, but that's just not how I am. And so I you really used wellness as a veil to make it cool for me to diet, right? Because dieting, you know, in the 90s, we at least called a spade a spade where dieting was just something that people did. And it was like diet Coke and low fat and blah, blah, blah. But in the 2000s, it became so uncool to diet, right? And dieting is horrible and it's horrible for your body. And it's been proven that it's the number one way to make sure that you gain weight long term, you know, so like dieting isn't good. But wellness was a way for me to really mask my dieting, if I'm being honest, and I'm looking back, but that wasn't really, I wasn't really conscious of that when I was super in it. When I was, you know, 21 years old, going through this 21, 22. At the time, I was just really into wellness and into green juice and thought it was, you know, all these things were just fun and interesting. But then I started to lose a lot of weight. I started to think I'd probably gained some weight at the beginning of college, like a lot of people do the freshman 15 or so. But, you know, I was really into yoga and I was really into all these wellness things and I started to lose it. And I started to get all these compliments, people saying, what do you do? What do you eat? How much do you work out? I want to do what you do. Cause they saw that I was getting really skinny and they admired that, which is a whole nother conversation and how our society is chosen to make a standard of beauty that perceives thinness as good and fat as bad. And we're told that message from the time we were young in the media, you know, primarily one body shape and size is shown to us in the media, which is a thin white female, right? And that's objectified. That's changing a little bit now, thank God, but slowly. And, you know, from the time we were kids, the only fat character I remember seeing was Ursula in The Little Mermaid, who was evil. So we're taught that fat is bad and thin is good. And thin privilege is a real thing that exists in our culture where our society is really mean to fat people. And I saw that firsthand. And I have a lot of people who are heavy, who are fat. I use that word very intentionally um, because that's from the work that I've done. I've realized that 
the fat activism community, that is a word that is meant to be redeemed and used. And, and anyway, I have a lot of fat people in my life. And so I had a lot of fear and I had a lot of internalized fat phobia that I had and have and I'm dealing with. And, you know, it's something that when I got into wellness, I didn't realize that all this was happening, but I got even more into it and more into it because in a really unhealthy negative spiral where I lost way too much weight and I completely didn't even pay attention to my body wellness at all, even though I was so into wellness. So that's the word that, that a lot of people know now, which is orthorexia, which at the time was very, very new. It still is pretty new now. And I think now it's in the DSM of, you know, disordered eating, but I had anorexia and orthorexia and ended up undergoing treatment for that. And I still find those things that I, I struggle with, but now I have the awareness. I have the awareness of, you know, I wasn't really doing those things for, health and wellness, I was doing them for aesthetic reasons and trying to figure out how to be a person in the world and feed myself and be okay with my body, how it naturally is and how it changes. And anyway, I just rambled for a very long time about a million things. So feel free. That is exactly what I wanted you to do. And I just feel like that was so, so powerful and pretty much everything I hoped that you would share in this interview. So You talk, (laughs) we're done. You talk about (laughs) that it was unconscious. You know, you were drawn to wellness because potentially even the right reasons, right? You wanted to take care of your body, but at some point that switched over from a healthy interest in keeping yourself well to an unhealthy place where wellness wasn't actually about being healthy or hold or well anymore. Do you think that was a gradual slide? Do you think the motivations were always a little off for you? Or now that you're kind of got this different level of awareness around it, do you look back and have more knowledge around what was going on at that point? Oh, for sure. So for me, I it actually started kind of backwards. I, I tell told the story in sort of a confusing way. But for me, when I, I lost the weight, I lost a lot of weight very quickly. And that wasn't solely on getting into veganism or cutting things out or, you know, it wasn't really solely on that. It was just about basically what happened is I studied abroad and I was having so much fun and I was so happy that I wasn't putting so much pressure on food. I wasn't trying to control my food and I wasn't trying to diet. I just was living. And I think my body kind of naturally found its equilibrium. And then I realized, or I thought I was in control of that because I got so many compliments and that's a whole nother issue. I think our society compliments people and talks about people's weight way too much and the way people look, especially as women, way too much. And it gets in your head, you know, when I had become okay with how I looked, but then when people were complimenting me for looking smaller, I became addicted to that and I wanted to keep going. So that's when I really engaged in unhealthy behaviors of like eating less and ignoring my hunger and just doing really negative things. But I, I, those things like that are really negative people listening and and yourself, you might hear them be like, we do that all the time. Like that's called dieting. It's like, Oh, well, am I really hungry? Like, yeah, you're probably hungry. If you like want, if you're thinking about food at all, like that's our, our ancestors, our grandmothers would just be like, 
why are you trying to eat less food? You know, it, it's just what we are conditioned to do. Like dieting has become so normalized and intuitive eating and actually listening to your body as you did when you were a child is so far from what we do as women that I was so disconnected from from that, that these negative things I was doing were are just so normalized in society. So, so anyway, so I, I lost weight more with that. And then kind of as a way to almost heal myself from that negativity without really having to do the work of the body image work and being okay with myself as, as my body changed, instead of really doing that, I was like, okay, okay, I've got this. I'm going to just eat a certain way, or I'm going to cut out certain foods. I'm going to still eat, but I'm going to, you know, eat a strict vegan diet or paleo diet or what, like I I just got more restrictive, but in different ways. And I I rationalized it as, as wellness or as, as health. But I think where I am now is it's kind of like, I always joke because my, my blog and my podcast used to be called the wellness wonderland. And I'm so far from that now in terms of what I talk about on, in my work and, and what I deal with. But I still love me, you know, a green juice as much as the next guy. And I love going to farmer's markets and I do Pilates regularly. And I, you know, I like wellnessy stuff and I like wellness culture. And so I always joke, you can take the girl out of the wellness wonderland, but you can't take the wellness wonderland out of the girl, you know, like those things are really useful and fun. And I like superfoods and tonics and I like, you know, engaging in that sort of thing. But I also know it's not necessary and it can be expensive and it can be exclusive. And, you know, I also enjoy having a cocktail on the weekend with my boyfriend and staying up really late and, you know, not getting my perfect sleep or, you know, missing my exercise class and going to brunch instead. Because I think, now that those things are wellness. And as much as I love essential oils and sage and my salt lamp, I also love, you know, going to a concert and staying up late. And I think that is truly being well. And I think what I was doing before of being so rigid and, you know, making sure I got the perfect amount of sleep and I didn't miss a workout and I ate super quote unquote clean was actually making me sicker. You know, like I didn't have a period and I was, uh, my body wasn't happy because I was stressed because I was stressed because I was lonely and I was unhappy. And I think true wellness is connection. It's relationships. It's, do you have love in your life? Are you laughing? Are you having sex? Are you getting pleasure from your food? food and from your work and creatively, that's wellness. And so that's why I you know, moved away from the term wellness wonderland, because I think wellness now people think immediately more soul cycle and green juice. And I like those things, but those aren't my entire life. I love the way you just really extended wellness to you is now what I kind of just heard you explain was like a wholesome life. It's sometimes late nights at concerts. It's sometimes a green juice and and it's laughing and it's joy and it's all of those things. It's not rigidly focusing on one part of your life. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Orthorexia, we kind of brushed over it. You mentioned you Mm -hmm. were diagnosed with orthorexia and it's a relatively new term. And certainly I'm 35. It's not one that I grew up with. I knew all about anorexia, bulimia, but orthorexia Mm -hmm. was not part of that equation. Can you explain to those listening what orthorexia is? 
Yes, of course. And I didn't grow up with it either. And that gets me thinking because like you said, I did grow up with like in the States, we have this thing called D.A.R.E., which it's it tells you basically like not to do drugs and not to drink and not to have sex. And it like scares you a ton. And I remember eating disorders were something that they spoke about, but it was anorexia and bulimia exclusively. So I'm curious if in schools, maybe someone listening can let us know if they're teaching kids now about orthorexia. I, I hope that they are, but I honestly doubt it. Or Come I and doubt, find us on Instagram, people. <laughs> yeah. I doubt that it's, that they're giving the education that it needs around it. But, but anyway, you know, this may not be clinical what I'm about to share, but I'm pretty sure definition of orthorexia is when healthy eating and quote unquote clean eating takes over your life in a negative way. So you're thinking about food, more than you're thinking about other things. You feel bad when you eat something that's not in a certain plan. You freak out when the food that you're okay with eating isn't served somewhere. You're not going to a birthday party that you would want to go to because you're not sure what's served there. You're looking at menus frantically before you go to a restaurant because you want to make sure there's something that you can eat there. And if there's not, you're not okay. It's like always being in food brain. You're maybe exercising to make up for something that you ate. You're feeling bad about yourself or what you ate. You're thinking about food much more than you should be. And I got in and not in like a foodie, you know, decadent way in a pretty unhealthy way. And I was in this space where I realized, you know, I'm thinking about my body and my food and I'm making decisions around, you know, where I can go and what I, where I, what I will do, what I will engage in, what activities I will go to based on what that will mean for my body and my diet and what I'm eating. And if that means I can stick to my diet or if it means I'm going to go off my, what I'm okay with eating or, you know, all of this, my decision-making was, was based on food and it was affecting my relationships in my life. And I realized I could be so much more creative. I could be so much more of a well-rounded, fulfilled person if I let that go. And it's not that easy to let go because letting it go means your body might change or it means you might look different. And what happens there is, is really complicated because then that's an, another psychological, emotional issue that you have to deal with, which is your body changing. And it's so jarring when your clothes don't fit you anymore and to have to get new clothes and people saying maybe comments to you that you not even trying to be mean, but just noticing a jarring difference in our culture our culture favors thinness and it's really hard to be okay with yourself in a culture that favors thinness. So it's a process and I, that's the way I define orthorexia. And I think after healing from it, the next thing you really have to do is the body image work of being okay with your body as it is or as it's meant to be or as it is today, knowing that the body that you had when you were 20 maybe isn't the body you're meant to have when you're 40. And understanding that maybe you could manipulate your body at 40 to look a certain way, but that's those extra five pounds are tasting your wedding cake or 
enjoying Paris with a partner or traveling and not thinking about food or sleeping in a little bit or are those extra five pounds worth your life? That That is just, I think it's such a powerful and important conversation because I feel like when we I come from a background in psychology. I certainly don't fall in the wellness basket of the green juice and the soul cycle. But I feel like so many leaders in the well-being space really do. And I've noticed that a number of them have come out and said, you know what, I wasn't approaching this from a healthy place. And I realized how not alone you are, Katie, and being like, this this got to the point where it was no longer healthy for me. It was no longer supporting me. You know, it was Mm -hmm. sucking the joy out of my life rather than giving me more. So I want to talk about your healing. How did you begin to even heal from this? I mean, I'm assuming there comes a point where you had to recognize that this is no longer good for me. Yeah. I mean, you know, Kate, honestly, I wish I could tell you I am perfectly healed and I love my body every second and I never think about food and think about these things. And, and that's just not the case. Like I I so wish it was, it's really, really not the case, but I am immensely better than I was five years ago. And I'm immensely more aware. I'm almost painfully aware now. So I can see myself being like, Oh my God, I just freaked out about that brunch thing it doesn't matter why was I being crazy. And I'm able to kind of laugh about it and pivot and move on. Talk yourself off the the proverbial edge that you had yourself on. Yeah. And sometimes that comes quicker and sometimes it's a challenge and it, it doesn't come that quick. And I do kind of flip out and I am like, you know, I have moments where like I'll, I put on my pants and they fit weird and that I'm not going to lie, like will make me feel a little bit weird for a minute. And then I realize like I kind of do some mental gymnastics and I, understand like, oh, well, that's, that's actually not okay. And I'm loved and it doesn't matter. And I I can make myself feel better, but depending on my day, if I'm really stressed or really sad, like that takes a bit longer. If I'm feeling really good about other things, then I can, you know, shift quicker, but it, it depends on the day. It depends on the moment. And originally five years ago, when I really started to first become painfully aware and I was in recovery and I was doing things to, to shift this. I was in therapy and that's when one of my, the greatest gifts of my eating disorder has been the self-awareness it gave me. Cause I grew up in a family who nobody was in therapy, didn't even really believe in therapy and would have, I probably would have never been in therapy if not for my eating disorder that forced me into it pretty young, relatively young. And yeah, so so I gained some self-awareness and I was, you know, working with a dietitian and a therapist and I realized that I had a lot of emotional issues, you know, as we do growing up and things that happened in childhood and just fears and, right, and blocks. The, the price for being human. We exactly. all have emotional issues. Exactly. And so I started to face those head on and, and a big tool for me with that was journaling. I started to face these things that I was so afraid of, that I was afraid to tell other people, I started to write about them. I I was reading a lot of self-help books and listening to every self-help podcast. And I had a gift card and I was actually in 
a store trying to buy another self-help book with this gift card. And I was just like, Ugh, I don't, I don't know. I don't want any more of these diet books and I don't want any more self-help books. I, I thought the answer was just finding someone I really looked up to and admired and thought was beautiful and thought was smart and liked their life. And I was like, I'll just eat what they eat and I'll believe what they believe and I'll do their practices and I'll be like them and I'll be happy. But that wasn't working. And so I realized that the I stumbled upon the fact that maybe the answer was just inside myself and I needed to connect to who I am. This is why to know myself, right? This is why I wanted you on this podcast. Besides the talking about your journey, this is why I love you because it's something I believe so wholeheartedly in. And I get frustrated when people don't see, and I'm quoting you, but I say the exact same thing that their Mm -hmm. greatest guru is within them. Yeah. And we have the answers we seek. I wholeheartedly believe it when we do the work to turn inside and look. Yeah. So you started journaling. And is that when you really found that you did have an inner guide? Yeah. I mean, I... I was really disconnected. I didn't really know myself. I didn't really know what I was thinking until I started writing and nobody told me to get a journal. But like I said, I had a gift card and instead of buying my next self-help book that would give me all the answers and tell me what to do. And I, I think as people, it's common that we want someone, a coach, a therapist, a book to give us the answers and tell us what to do. Because I mean, I want that right now. That's just not how the world works. Like I would prefer that. That's a lot easier than just because something's true doesn't mean it's easy. You know, like we are the guru. The answer is, you know, within us. However, I would prefer it if the answer someone could just tell me. You know, like, <laughs> How true is that, right? Easy. Can I follow your four-step plan? Because that is yeah. way easier than working out what the hell is going on in here. <laughs> totally. Like I would much prefer it to be easy, but that's just not the world that we live in. So anyway, I started journaling that summer in this colorful journal that I bought instead of another self-help book. And I would just ask myself simple questions like, how are you feeling? And I would be honest for the first time because in life, all the other instances, I was wearing masks, even with really safe people like a therapist, like a life coach, like my friends or family. I wanted to be liked, you know, I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be able to be relatable. So I wasn't sharing these really dark thoughts I was having. And I also wasn't sharing my really light thoughts, like my lofty goals that I was too embarrassed to admit. And so in this journal, I was able to get really honest and raw and uncomfortably real with myself. And then therefore, hopefully, then become clear enough to share that with other people when I was comfortable. And it made my therapy stronger and better. And it made my relationships deeper as well. So I found journaling to be very helpful for getting to know myself, developing self-awareness and clarity in my life. Do you really think that being able to write down in a journal or write to yourself helped you get that much more real with yourself that much quicker than you could have any other way? I do. I mean, I think, like I said, we constantly have at least a little bit of a filter with people. And I don't think this is something that is conscious, but I think 
I know I speak way more freely when I know no one's going to read it and it's just for me than I do even with my therapist because it's uncomfortable and we have a little bit of a fear of judgment. And yeah, so so I mean, that's that's just part of it. I think also it can, like I said, make your coaching sessions deeper when you can go into them with some clarity of like, okay, this is honestly what I'm thinking. Yeah, and, I've worked and it you out don't now. even <laughs> Yeah. And then you can get some help and you can get some guidance and you can talk that out and get some, you know, advice and ideas from another person. But if you go in like, I don't even know where I'm at, then it's like, okay, that's fine. They can help you and you can start to uncover that. But then maybe your session's over where you could just hit the ground running in your session if you were like, All right, I figured it out. This is where I'm at, and these are the A B C areas of my life or my psyche or my relationship that I'm really struggling in. What do you think about this, this, and this? And what can I do to be where I want to be? It's funny because I know a lot of coaches do this, but I send my coaching clients a pre-questionnaire and I do it so that they can process some of their own thinking before we get to the session so that we can hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. And it is amazing the stuff that you can pull out of people and it goes true, you can pull out of yourself when you give yourself a prompt and then have to answer it. It's amazing yeah. how much clarity you can give yourself. And you have a whole book that helps people do this called Let It Out, A Journey yeah. Through Journaling. And there are tons of practices in here. Do you have a favorite one or one that you still use a lot that happens to be in your book of all the tools? How many tools are in the book? I've got it in front of there me. There are 55 tools. Um, well, you know, really how it came about is just that I was like, I told you already journaling because it made me feel better and it was cathartic to me. But then I would start to recommend it to other people because, you know, if they had a relationship problem or a body problem. I was like, have you done this weird thing journaling? Like, I don't know. Um, and they, would have so much resistance to it. And I think a lot of the resistance comes, you know, they'd be like, well, I'm not a writer. I don't have anything to say. And I was, I thought about that. And I was like, well, I'm also not really a writer and I didn't really have anything to say, but I found this cathartic and it gave me relief. And, you know, I think this type of writing is innate to us. And it's, if you can write a text, you can journal. If you can write an email, you can journal. And a lot of people, myself included, will feel more comfortable with it if they are guided, if they have a prompt. And that's why I made this this book to, to be that. And I think having a prompt gets to these different corners of your mind that are previously unexplored. And in my case, you know, the book, there's a there's a tool in there. The first tool is called the morning dump. And it asks kind of three questions it, you know, sounds like poop in the morning and you go through and let out what's ever on your mind. And then it kind of guides you into how you want to feel throughout the day. And that's, that's one of my favorites that I, that I do most every day, but, but also, you know, I don't even journal every day. I do it kind of when I need it. And, you know, I do it at different times of day. I, I don't want to be someone who's like adding another should or another routine because, we have so many in our lives and I don't want to add more stress to people. I think that's so beautiful. Again, coming back to that point that we discussed earlier, that this is not another thing that you have to add to your to-do list to be doing it right. Exactly. Do you have, when you do journal, do you have like little routines for yourself? Do you have, like, for example, the reason I'm asking this is 
all of my notes that I take, I do in colored pens. Do you have a favorite pen? Do you have a favorite journal? I I do, but I it like goes through phases, to be honest. Like I'll have like the one that I'm kind of carrying around with me at each, you know what I mean, given time. And then I fill it up and I'll get another one. But I also journal on my computer. You know, I'll even like journal on my phone every once in a while if, if something comes to me. So I don't know. It, it just kind of depends. And I, I also really like a legal pad because... I found a lot of people when I started talking about journaling and I wrote this book like two years ago now, people were sending me or just gifting me, I guess, a lot of really beautiful journals, like something like anthropology. Yeah, no, it was great. (laughs) I found myself when I was writing in them, trying to make all of the things I was writing really positive and beautiful, like the journals themselves. Whereas on a legal pad, I didn't care if I was writing something negative. I didn't care if I was crossing off or writing in big letters or getting angry on the page. And that's actually what's more cathartic than, you know, writing down my gratitude and what I love. And like, that's fine too. And that's good for the pretty journals. But I think journaling's best when it's really real and authentic. And that's not always rainbows and butterflies. Right. And the rainbow and butterfly journal might get in your way. That makes that makes a lot of sense yeah, to me. Right? I have a bunch of intermission questions that I ask, much like you do on your podcast, Let It Out with Katie Dalbout. Cool. Same name as your book. And it's your turn. So are you a morning person or a night person, Katie? Oh, hmm. Well, I don't know. I mean, I pref I don't know. Gosh, it's so hard. I love the mornings. Like I love being up in the early morning. I enjoy it. I, I like the evenings too. I like cozy evenings. I love going out to dinner. It's like my favorite activity. It's like going out to dinner with my boyfriend and like just talking is like my favorite thing, my favorite activity to do. So I really like both. Is that allowed? Yeah, it's totally allowed. So did I interpret that the mornings are more for you and nights are more for for you and others? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't like to I don't like to be around people in the morning at all. And I don't <laughs> like being alone in the evenings. So. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> what is currently sitting on your nightstand? Can you remember? I can actually look at it. So oh, I can rocks. show you. Yeah. I can even send you a photograph. It's literally like to my right. Um there is a salt lamp. There's a crystal that I got at a vintage store. It's like kind of silvery gold. I don't know what it is, but I think it's pretty. There's a plant that I got from my favorite plant shop in New York called the Sill. And there is a little bowl with sage and Palo Santo. And there is my retainers because I still wear my retainers. Okay, that rocks. Besides the retainers, I'm pretty sure you just described my office as well. Oh, nice. (laughs) What's your favorite self-care activity? I love walking around New York City and listening to podcasts or talking on the phone with friends. What else? I This is maybe like a bad one, but I love getting blowouts. I have a lot of hair and I don't like blow drying it myself. So I get blowouts a lot and I, I really enjoy that. There is nothing to apologize about there. Thank you. Uh, I Yeah, I mean, those are probably like my most pleasurable. I do a lot of like self-carry things that like aren't as fun. But I mean, I love a good massage. Like that's like my favorite, but I don't do that as often as I would like. 
You just made me stretch my neck out. I really should get one. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book or a book that had an impact on you at some stage in your life? Oh, so many. Yes. Well, I'll say a book that's my friend wrote. My my best friend wrote a book that just came out a month ago. It's called Letting Go of Leo. And my friend Simi Bodick wrote it and it's great. And I got to write the foreword to it. And it's a book of personal essays about how she let go of control. Talks a lot about the things we spoke about in this podcast about eating and letting go of dieting and, and and just not even just that, you know, a lot of things happened to her in her life that she's, you know, had to stop being so controlling about and it's made her a lot happier. And she writes about that in this book. And yeah, I just, I really love her and I really love this, this creation that she's made. So, so is it part memoir, part kind of insightful teaching? I mean, I guess you could technically call it a prescriptive memoir. I'm kind of, you know, over the whole like self-help <laughs> stuff. So I don't like to call it that, but it is. It's a book of essays, but it's really sad at times. It's really funny at times. And it's definitely inspiring for sure. I, I like the premise of learning to let go of control. I think so many of us are struggling with that. Yeah. Do you have a favorite long road you took in life? to learn a lesson, you know, so a detour that maybe it took you a little while to learn a life lesson, but once you got it, you were like, I couldn't have learned that any quicker. I had to take that route. Mm, That's such a great question. Yeah. I mean, I I believe that the universe, God, whatever, uh, you have source, higher power, life, (laughs) you know, I think that the universe gives us lessons and tests and if we don't pass them, we have to keep learning them again and, or they won't go away, you know? So I've had a lot of, of those in my life, you know, one, one of them is, you know, this, my relationship with control and my relationship with food and my body has a lot to do with that. And that's still one that I'm, you know, I don't think it's linear. I think it's like five steps forward to back, you know, which I've, I notice a lot or 10 forward, one back, you know, it's kind of like that. I'm, I'm, I'm progressing, but not always linearly and not always quickly. So that's one. And and then also like being myself and not, not trying to be like other people. I think I can be kind of a chameleon to my friends and my mentors and the people around me and, uh, finding my own voice and clarity and, brand, I guess, and vision and sticking to that and not being swayed and not comparing. That's definitely something that I have had to learn and relearn and keep learning, but I'm definitely far improved than I have been in the past. Oh, I think, you know, being in this world of online, I noticed, and I haven't noticed this in myself for the longest time, Katie, but the other day I noticed I got triggered by something and felt less than, you know, Mm, I think it was, I can't even remember what the situation was, but I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't felt this feeling in the longest time of comparison that Mm -hmm. saps my own joy, like saps my own feeling of feeling good in a heartbeat. And I was just, it was a really good reminder for me that so often, like we never necessarily 
get to the holy grail, that we're all just walking this journey of, like you said, 10 steps forward, one step back, or three steps forward, two steps back. And while we may be progressing, it doesn't necessarily feel like that every day. And I think that's the next wave of self-help or personal development is to be so much more gentle with ourselves. And that's Mm -hmm. really what I appreciate because you're not alone in that. I feel like we're all doing that. We're all taking a step forward and often a step back and two steps forward and another step back. It's, It's part of the journey. Yeah, agree. What is one thing in your day that you can't do without? I... I can do without this, but I prefer not to. Every morning I like to, well, first I do a bunch of things. Like I do this like weird little like exercise thing that I do and I meditate. I do TM meditation. So I'll meditate for 20 minutes. I'll drink a bunch of water and that that's like non-negotiable. That never like doesn't happen. But then the next part, I really, really like love when it happens, like to this morning, for instance, it didn't, I had a, I had a meeting that I had to get to at eight 30. So I didn't have time to do this, but usually what I like to do is not have any meetings in the morning. And after I do those three things that I mentioned, I'll get dressed. And then I like to sit down at my desk with a really large, really hot cup of herba mate tea and breakfast, which is usually fruit and nut butter or granola or, you know, like some sort of, I like sweet breakfast. So something like that. And I'll sit down with that. And I like to just listen to like a podcast or watch a, you know, video or read an article. And I like to just sit and then be very inspired and get right into a creative task first while I'm drinking my tea. And then I fill up that tea again with hot water and I'll like get another thing done and I'll do all things that are things I want to be doing or need to be doing or are productive, but they aren't requests from other people. So I don't go into my email until at least, you know, two or three creative tasks have been completed. And then I'll get into my email because I find if I do creative tasks later in the day, I don't have as much discipline and stamina and I'm less clear. And if I do them earlier in the day, I'm better. And also, with email, you know, it can be stressful and distracting. And I'm basically responding to other people's concerns over, you know, the concerns that I have and want to be, you know, engaging with. Well, I think that's why the universe brought us together today, because I think I probably needed to hear that message myself, Katie. Good, good. Start your day with the creative and let the noise come in later. Yeah. And I'm not like I said, I'm I'm really not perfect at this. Like for instance, today, this just didn't happen. I had somewhere I needed to be at eight 30 and you know, I had breakfast way later and I didn't have that time in the morning and I had to get right to email and it was fine. It's like not the end of the world, but I prefer it when I can have a slow morning that, you know, I'm in charge of. How would you describe the soul? Oh, that's a nice question. I think I think it's our intuition. You know, I think our soul is that part of us that kind of knows what to do, but we don't really know why knows to turn left instead of right, but we're not even sure why, but it's usually right. It's the part we often don't listen to because of logic. It's that part that's kind of been the same with us since we were children and will be the same when we're old, but 
circumstances and knowledge come in and out. I think I think that's the soul, and I think it's similar, and it's within each of us from mm. the same sort of source. So good. Final quick fire question that aren't really quick fire. I need to stop calling them that. What does fulfillment mean to you? I think fulfillment. Deepak Chopra has this quote where he was asked about happiness, and he says, "Happiness is divine discontent." because it leaves room for the creative impulse. And I always really liked that. And I think fulfillment to me is feeling safe and secure, you know, financially and in your surroundings first, and then having space and time for creative pursuits and having support and love around you relationship wise. And then, you know, having health and vitality and comfort and general okayness physically and in your body. Oh, that was a good definition, Katie. That was Thank good. You. <laughs> I've got just a couple more questions for you. Cool. You say on your website, and I adored this, that you're not an expert in anything, but you're an enthusiast of a bunch of things. What currently mm-hmm. inspires or intrigues you, Katie? Hmm. That's a great question. I have so many things. Number one, New York City. I am so fascinated by this island that has so many people on it and so many restaurants and so many pieces of art. (laughs) And I just love it so much. Like I haven't been here that long and I want to stay here forever. I, I love it. So that's one thing that really inspires me. If you had any advice to give women today on how they can potentially focus less on their bodies and more on living their lives as a whole, what would it be? Mm. There's this really beautiful article that I often quote where I think the title of it is, it's by Glennon Doyle Melton. And she titled the article, Make Your Life Your Masterpiece, Not Your Body. And I think that that really hit me hard when I just, just reading the headline of it hit me hard because it's about, you know, we can spend our lives trying to make ourselves smaller, literally trying to make ourselves smaller. That's what women do. Or we can spend our lives trying to be ourselves and be big and be who we are, whatever size and shape that is. And It's hard to do that in the world, in a world that favors thinness and is really mean to fat people. And I get it. I mean, I totally get it. It's hard for me too, but I'm trying. (laughs) I'm trying because I know it's the right thing. It's kind of like that, that quote that's so annoying. That's like, what's right isn't always popular and what's popular isn't always right. And, you know, it's popular to be thin. It's popular to be really fit. It's popular to be you know, rigid with your food and exercise and your routines. And it's kind of uncool. Well, I guess it is kind of cool to not care about that stuff too, but it's, it's also hard, you know, if you've been into it and you, it's, it's cool to look a certain way. And I don't know, I want to make it cool to like not care and to be ourselves regardless of our size and shape and love ourselves 
as, you know, kind of cheesy as that can sound, but it's, it's really important because I think when we love ourselves, we can do more good work in the world and we can collaborate more and we can make things that feel like the inside of our brain and be vulnerable and connect with each other and help each other and and make the world a better place. Mm, When we love ourselves, we can, we can do more. I hear you. I hear you on that. Wasn't she great? I so appreciated that discussion on orthorexia. It was something that I have seen coming up again and again, but was still really craving to have a conversation around what this meant. As she puts it on her website, it is an addiction to wellness. If you would like some assistance with talking through an eating disorder, I have linked to the National Eating Disorders Organization in the show notes, or you can go to nationaleatingdisorders.org for more information. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Katie's awesome journaling book and her podcast are of the same name, and that is Let It Out. You can find Katie over at her website at katiedalbout.com or over on Instagram at katiedalbout. And I wanted to mention that she is just about to release a brand new podcasting school. So if you have ever been interested in the idea of podcasting, I would highly encourage you to go and take a look. She's a master at this. I did a podcasting school when I kicked off. Unfortunately, the podcasting school I did is no longer open, but I would recommend anyone who is considering getting in this game should do one. I'm going to link to that in the show notes as soon as it is available, or you can head to my website, thrive.how forward slash podcast eight three to get information as soon as it is live. If you appreciated this episode, it would mean so much if you could leave a review, leave me a note and let me know what you appreciated about it. Tell your friends about Here to Thrive and subscribe so you don't miss the epic interviews I have lined up. I appreciate each and every one of you and your willingness to want to live your lives to the fullest. Keep thriving, beautiful people, and I will be back next Friday. 